Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. And right now, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, who is our sponsor for C. diff, spores, and more. And please visit their Clorox Healthcare website, cloroxhealthcare.com, and check out their latest spore defense for Clorox Total 360, helping you fight C. diff in places you couldn't reach before. At this time, I'd like to uh, present our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer. They join us today to discuss dry, hydro- dry hydrogen peroxide continuous environmental disinfection and also the unique environmental technology that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Welcome to the program, Denise and Maureen. Thank you, Nancy. Hi there. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Thanks so much for both of you for being here today. And Denise and Maureen, would you mind taking um, the lead, Denise, and introduce yourselves to our global listeners? Yes. Hi, hello to all the listeners. Uh, thanks for allowing us the opportunity to share with you some really unique technology. That's quite groundbreaking, to say the least. Um, you might know me through my efforts at the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology, where I served as the Executive Vice President, and I oversaw the government relations, public relations, practice guidance, and marketing, and a little bit of research while I was there. Now I'm fortunate enough to be consulting with some key leaders in the no-touch environmental technology space. It's been a great opportunity for me to learn more about what can help you. I'll hand it over now to Maureen. Thank you, Denise, and thank you, Nancy. Uh, So I've been on the show a few times, and uh, more recently, I think in April and May, talking about COVID. And so my background is what we call an infection preventionist. Uh, I actually have a nursing background, but my entire career has been in this field of infection control since the early 70s. And I did work in a microbiology lab through high school, so I got to know bugs. And then they uh, thought, well, here's a nurse who knows bugs. So that's actually how I entered in at such a young age. But I've been a director mostly in the Boston area, a couple of hospitals, Carney Hospital, the VA in West Roxbury, Mass General Hospital, and New England Baptist Hospital, which is an orthopedic hospital. And then I became a corporate director at a large hospital system with 28 acute care hospitals in seven states. So that was very fascinating work, not only to see healthcare across the U.S. and the differences in epidemiology, especially with C. diff, it was fascinating. And I think it has to do with diets and certain, you know, areas of more remote areas versus clusters and cities and so forth. And now I've semi-retired in December, and so I'm doing a lot of consulting, just like Denise. I did a lot on COVID. Uh, so now things are settling down a little bit, and I can get back to some of my areas that I uh, consider myself an expert in, which is surgical site infections. That's kind of my, my I guess you call it your baby. <laughs> so that's who I am. <laughs> and I'm well, glad to be here. We are so glad to, Maureen. And Maureen, um, you were talking about the last uh, uh episode you were on about the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's an unsettling time for all of us. And um, would you be able to elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, we appreciate everything you're doing. I'm mean, here it is a C. diff radio show, but you've been really so supportive about the COVID pandemic. And I think it, it 
falls right in line because I saw the first report. I've been waiting for this report to come out saying that they're seeing more cases of C. difficile in the ICUs of these COVID patients because one report showed how many antibiotics they're using. And so we're still going to have that same issue, even though they have a viral pneumonia caused by this virus, uh, many of them still end up having a secondary bacterial uh, pneumonia. So, you know, that's been one of the issues that we've been watching to see what the fallout is going to be as a result of all of this. But, you know, all these challenges are really unsettling. It's an unsettling time for all of us because we have to read the news daily. We have to watch not just television and different channels, you know, to get the different perspectives, but reading all of the journals, keeping up with WHO, you know, CDC, uh, EPA, FDA. There's just so many different recommendations because an outbreak involves everybody. It's in all buildings. It's in schools. It can be in universities, not just hospitals and home care and health care um, settings, uh, extended care facilities. So because of everything that's happening, <clears throat> while the scientists and the researchers have not had the benefit of doing what we consider the state-of-the-art, these, lo- these large longitudinal studies to evaluate this virus and its transmission dynamics. Um, we've just been going along with sometimes just a small report and trying to make recommendations based on that. So it's, it's been a bit of a challenge. But that being said, we have learned some really important information about SARS-CoV and the environment. So just again, if people hadn't heard the last few shows where I really got in-depth in about the virus and then about the disease, it's the virus is SARS-CoV-2. There are seven coronaviruses, four of them caused the common cold, and then we had SARS-CoV-1 back in 2003 that caused an outbreak nowhere near the magnitude of this one. Uh, but again, serious respiratory syndrome, uh, so it's called sudden acute respiratory syndrome, SARS. Then there was MERS-CoV called the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, <clears throat> another coronavirus that happened more or less over in the Middle East connected with, um, you know, camels and bats and that kind of a community that served as a zoonotic, we call it from animal source. And then the most recent in 2019, SARS-CoV-2, but they named the disease COVID-19, basically representing the coronavirus and infectious disease or the identification of it in 2019. And so that being said, we have a lot of important information um, about how the virus is present on air and on surfaces, and it can survive for extended periods of time, um, either in pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic individuals. So if you get infected, you have what's called an incubation period, where the virus enters into the nasopharynx, it starts to replicate in your cells, makes millions of copies of itself, and they start moving off through the nasopharynx or maybe up through your eyes, the mucous membranes, and they move off into other organs and cause this systemic reaction that we see that you know, can be pretty serious in some people. So we do know that those, a person can be walking around for up to five days with this replication going on and not realizing that they're transmitting it into the environment. The number one way that it does get transmitted is in very close space. If you're in a home, you're in an office, you're in a, a bus or even an airplane, although they have really good circulation on airplanes, so we haven't had as many clusters on air breaks, airplanes as you can imagine. But that's the setting where it's, it's more important to think about innovative technologies that could help us. And so the experts are predicting that we're going to continue to have these sustained, sustained surges in cleaning demands. I mean, I see it myself as I've been going around to, say, a restaurant or a store. Everybody's got something to clean the carts, 
They're making us up here in Massachusetts. We still have to wear masks in any public places. Um, you go to a restaurant, they're wiping down all the tables more than they ever did before, not just wiping with a dirty cloth. They have now learned the right way to t- clean and disinfect surfaces between what we call patients, but, you know, restaurant uh, attendees. So uh, that's been a big change, you know, for, for the whole business community, hospitality community, to how to actually do cleaning and disinfection. And so the new processes and technologies are also coming out to help us reopen. Many of the companies, the vendors I've talked to, said they're absolutely wiped out, you know, with whether they're UV lights or different kinds of innovative technology. We're going to talk about a fascinating one. You know, and I, I put my name behind it because I think it's just state-of-the-art. It's probably top of my list of things that I would do, opening up uh, the community, I say, especially schools, you know, when you learn about this. Denise will get in more details later. So there are two primary modes of transmission of SARS-CoV. You can either directly, as I mentioned, be sitting close to somebody who's either asymptomatic or symptomatic, and they're coughing and sneezing, and this is coming into your face as droplets, and you inhale it. And then we have an indirect transmission, which would be as they start to cough and sneeze, it goes around six feet around that individual as these big droplets, and they start to land on counters, on chairs, on doorknobs, on, you know, sinks and bathrooms and so forth. And then you come along and unfortunately, unknowingly, put your hand down on that surface, pick the virus up, especially if it's a fresh load of virus, and then wipe your eye or you wipe your nose, you know, you itch your nose and it's able to get in. So that's kind of an indirect transmission from a person. <clears throat> There's also some research suggesting that infected individuals, they can generate these very small micro aerosol particles uh, containing the virus that can, can, that can affect others when it's inhaled. These are literally so small, much smaller than what we call a droplet, and they can be picked up on air current transmission. So we, I don't know if you've ever seen, you've had a stream of light, sunlight coming into a room, and you're looking at it, and you see all these particles floating across your eyes. And then if somebody opens the door, or say in hospitals, they flip the bedside curtain over, all these air currents start moving quickly, and then they're, by gravity, going to be pulled down to the earth or wherever they're going to land. So that's one of our challenges, say, in an operating room, where they open the door, and they disrupt the ventilation system, and then particles come in from the outside cord and land in the incision. You know, we're always looking at that whole issue of, proper air control and air traffic and how many people are in rooms and so forth. So the research um, has been looking at, you know, how can we evaluate these air turbulence and then start to look at different kinds of technology that could come in. Because these respiratory droplets, the big ones that are heavier, um, they don't really remain long, uh, you know, airborne very long. They're going to just start to settle down by gravity. So you've got two issues the person who's infected with these small, tiny little aerosols, and then when they're coughing, which I'm sure you've seen somebody cough or when they're talking, uh, we call spit, (laughs) droplets that are coming out of their mouth and they're going to land either on you or on a surface. So the, the, what they found with some of the research is that some of the earliest studies, one of them came out of Singapore, that 87% of surface samples in an infected patient's room and 60% of the surface samples in the bathroom were positive for SARS-CoV. Now, this was before the room was clean. So a more recent study found like 35% of air samples and 66% of air vent samples in an ICU that was housing COVID patients were positive. And so this starting to see that was on the computer mice, the waste rest, uh, rest, um, 
trash cans and bed handrails. Uh, they found a widespread on the floors with 70% of the floor samples in the ICU, ICU alone being caused a positive for SARS-CoV. And so this, this has generated a lot of discussion in facilities. Should we be covering uh, shoes? They're not right now because we do expect the floor to be the dirtiest part of the room. But, you know, should they wear, I know a lot of the nurses just bring a pair of shoes and leave them at the hospital and not wear them home. Or should they have disposable shoe covers on? Um, a lot then, of the law enforcement, EMS, they, all of them have to take their shoes off when they get home and make sure they don't bring all that in. So I, I'm going to, I think so, we need to go to a commercial right now, and then I'll come back and pick up from there. I was actually going to say, Maureen, that's a really good point to bring across, too, about the shoes. And that's another whole episode we can do on that one but yes right now we're going to pause for a brief commercial break when we return we will continue discussing uh the dry um hydrogen peroxide continuous environmental disinfection with our guest denise graham and maureen spencer please stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages your life your health your network You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more. And thank you so much for joining us today with our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer. Here to uh, discuss dry hydrogen peroxide continuous environmental disinfection. And right now, let's bring back our guest, Maureen Spencer. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maureen. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. You um, shared so much about the COVID-19 and helpful information before break. Um, Would you like to pick up where we left off? Yeah, so now... I wanted to kind of get into what about the air. We, so we talked about how the COVID patient contaminates not only the immediate airspace around them, but the surfaces from when they're caught in the floor. But what about that, those little small micro particles I talked about, a virus that can suspend and move off 
you know, there are other viruses like chickenpox, measles, um, that can stay in the air for hours, four to eight hours. We have to always close rooms down and let the ventilation kind of clear the room out. And typically, COVID viruses are not considered that kind of a virus. But this one, because of the small particles it generates, it kind of lies between a droplet and an airborne kind of a situation. So, you know, it's one thing to actually have an acutely ill patient in a negative pressure room you know, where that's going to suck that air out. But what about someone walking around asymptomatically who's infected? And they're generating these droplets and aerosols, like I mentioned, in, in the public, in a restaurant, and on a bus, on an airplane, and so forth. So that's where we have to always start to think. We need a strategy that can kill the virus, but also address air and surface contamination continuously, since we all know that the virus can produce both both sources of contamination. And you want to have a strategy that doesn't put too much strain on already overtaxed workforces. You know, EVS workers have had to amp up, we call it enhanced environmental cleaning. So they are cleaning much more carefully than they probably did before. And they're probably being monitored because, you know, it's it's just such a, a, you know, strong situation as far as transmission that we might got to make sure those rooms are clean. So we want to look at something that has, can meet all those kind of pretty strong tall orders. Um, so that's where this dry hydrogen peroxide comes in. I was introduced to it a few years ago, and Denise will give you the whole history of it. And I was just so fascinated and thinking, aha, we ha- finally have something that is in line with what I have dreamed of, self-disinfecting rooms. So we don't have to rely 100% on EVS and nurses to keep that environment safe, but this would work 24-7, and it can actually kill bacteria, molds, and viruses. So that's that's kind of the next thing we're going to be talking about. Okay, and uh, Maureen, you mentioned um, the disinfectants are able to kill the coronavirus. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this easy kill factor impacts hospitals and other facilities looking to eliminate SARS-CoV-2? Yeah, absolutely. So, The SARS-CoV-2, as well as MERS and SARS-CoV-1, all the coronaviruses are what's called an envelope virus. This means that the virus is surrounded by this thin lipid, an oily layer that plays a role not only in how it's spread, that it can protect it, but also protects itself from the immune system. Uh, So some people find this a little counterintuitive because they think that having an envelope might give them the virus an extra layer of protection, but in fact... It's one of the easiest things because of the lipid, it being an oily substance, soap will clean it, bleach will clean it, Lysol will clean it, just everyday disinfectants in your home. So they're much easier to kill than an on-enveloped virus. So we use an infection prevention and it's central processing sterilization. Um, they have a Spalding classification model that's used by the EPA, the CDC, um, and it tiers microorganisms based on their level of resistance of being killed. On the easily destructible end of the spectrum, you'll find these envelope viruses like SARS-CoV. But then on the most difficult end, you'll find things like uh, spores, C. diff spores, um, and small non-enveloped viruses. So I should point out here that even though we're going to get into the details a little later um, about this, that this Synexis biodefense system is effective against species of dry microbes on which it's been tested, including MRSA, C. difficile. It even kills influenza aspergillus, which can cause aspergillosis, and salmonella. So, but back to SARS, uh, the good news is that most of the chemical disinfectants will do a good job. 
in eliminating the virus. And the EPA has a long list of disinfectants that they've already approved um, based on their criteria for efficacy against SARS-CoV-2. And you can actually access that on the CDC website for the list. And it will it'll take you onto their website, the EPA, and you can look up various disinfectants. They're backlogged about a, a year, by the way, in accepting new ones. So as long as you look and you can see a similar component of what's already approved, you're probably okay with that particular uh, disinfectant's going to work with this virus. But it's, it's best to get one, especially in a healthcare setting, that says it absolutely has been approved by EPA uh, for for the COVID uh, virus. The challenge is, though, that there's a large body of knowledge for the past 20 years or so showing that manual cleaning alone, it just doesn't do the job. It, this contamination has been, is an ongoing process if you think about it. We're constantly shedding. It's 10 million skin squames. These little cells off your body a day come off of people, and about a million of those have bacteria. And so those get into the environment. And if you think about it, a housekeeper comes along once a day in that patient's room they clean up all the skin squames, the dust, the lint from the linen. You know, they get everything cleaned up, and then the patient goes and recontaminates it again, over and over again. So that once a day is just kind of a sanitation in the sense that you just take away what built up, and then you let it build up again. So there really is a need for addressing something that is a continuous 24-7, 365 days a year that would be a self disinfecting concept. So we know we have that as a safety net, that this is going to always be working. Um, and then you rely, continue to rely on EVS. And now we have a lot of nurses that's doing cleaning uh, so that they can, you know, kind of conserve their PPA. A lot of the hospitals have asked the nurses to do the room cleaning and not let EVS in and out of the room. So, you know, there's, there's uh, different issues and challenges that we have. But imagine if we could have something that was 24-7 that was constantly disinfecting. Exactly. And like you said, Maureen, um, there are a lot of limitations to manual cleaning and um, it isn't easy to, uh, to kill the virus. And would you be able to share um, the, with our audience uh, about, we've read about a lot about Environmental Protection Agency and that it has six step approach to cleaning and disinfecting surfaces. Um, can you explain what those steps would be? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so you can go on the EPA website has this list of how they recommend. And I, I think it's great that we're all going back and re-looking at all of this, um, even in healthcare, even though we assume they might know this. But now that you have, as I said, businesses and hospitality industry and others, schools, universities that are having to learn how to clean. So the first thing they say is you want to check the product to see if it's, first of all, EPA approved. Um, that's important, that that's gone through some kind of a check a process, and we'll have an EPA registration number on the product. And then you can go to that list, the EPA's list, to see if the particular brand that you have want to purchase or have purchased um, has, you know, the, the ability to kill the coronavirus. Then the second is that you read the directions and you follow them. This is something that I have found in my career doing surveys that people didn't understand the right dilutions. They get a jug of a disinfectant and not realize that has to be reconstituted. You may, you may only take, you know, so many ounces and mix it into a gallon of water. A lot of hospitals have on the wall these mixers so that it actually takes the water and it automatically dispenses it already pre-made for the EVS department. That's typically how it's done in hospitals. So make sure that you read the instructions 
um, and any kind of precautionary statements about what to do if you have an accidental exposure to the disinfectant, you know, on your skin, your eyes, or ingestion. A lot of these have very specific guidelines for wearing goggles and wearing gloves, uh, which a lot of people in the general public don't know. And so another thing you look at, step three, is does it require pre-cleaning? Some of these companies have put in like a surfactant, a cleaning agent with the disinfectant, so it's a one-step process. Others, it's a straight disinfectant, and you've got to clean first. So that would be an example would be bleach. If you think about bleach, you put it in your laundry with your detergent so that the detergent can get the dirt out, but the bleach is going to do the disinfection and the whitening. Uh, so it's the same concept. to Make sure that you look to see if you have one that requires you first to clean it up and then you apply it. And step four is that contact time. This is another one that a lot of, especially healthcare workers, didn't understand until they started to look at this years ago, both the CMS and Joint Commission in their surveys. They started timing people, like say they're cleaning the operating room. Did they wait the minutes that were on that product? Uh, it can be anywhere from a one-minute contact time to up to 10 minutes. And that means you've got to keep that room not being used for 10 minutes while you're waiting for that product to do its job. So you, you apply it to the surface, you leave it there for 10 minutes, and then if you have too much, you can wipe it off. Um, the other thing is step five is you want to wear those gloves and wash your hands after you remove the gloves. Uh, a lot of gloves have holes in them. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, they're allowed a certain amount of defects, and this is why, you know, we want you to wash your hands after you take them off when working with patients because you could get a uh, virus or bacteria. If you have disposable gloves and you want to discard those after each cleaning and then reusable gloves, rinse them and hang those to dry. And then the last step is disinfectants are chemicals and they are toxic. So they have to be locked up, keep the lids tightly closed and store those out of the reach of children. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Maureen, for all this information. It's really helpful to everybody listening. And right now we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the dry hydrogen peroxide, continuous environmental disinfection with our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the C. Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 C. Diff. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to C. diff spores and more, and thank you so much for joining us today with our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer, here discussing trihydrogen peroxide continuous environmental disinfection. Uh, welcome back to the program, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Denise, um, maybe you can introduce the dry hydrogen peroxide technology to our global listeners. Sure. It's my honor to explain it a little bit more. So you've all heard about hydrogen peroxide, and we've all heard about how effective it is, but we also know how toxic, toxic it is. So um, the Nexus, uh, decided to create a um, technology that produces dry hydrogen peroxide. So I'm going to refer to that as DHP so that we can just continue in explaining how this technology works. It is hydrogen peroxide put in a gas form, which is an important point because some other companies produce what they call dry hydrogen peroxide mists or, or hydrogen peroxide radicals. But these are not gases. They are liquid-based products that are much more concentrated and, unlike DHP, cannot be used in occupied settings. So it's kind of interesting in how, how it is formed. It's generated from an environment's oxygen and humidity right in the ambient air. So air is pulled through the device um, where there's a germ- non-germicidal UVA bulb that activates the catalyst. They call this little small disk in their technology where they, where if they call it a disk, where the technology lies. Um, and so what it does is it triggers a chemical reaction that produces hydrogen peroxide gas from the air's oxygen and humidity. Um, the DHP then diffuses throughout any unit in the facility. So literally from floor to floor, Ceiling to ceiling, corner to corner, it's there. Wherever the air goes, DHP goes. The really key point, though, is that because there is no water in DHP, it's dry hydrogen peroxide, it is effective at concentrations much lower than other forms of hydrogen peroxide, like the vapors or the mists. So I mention that only because those aren't used in occupied space. So DHP can safely be used 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And because it's a gas, it can permeate any space. There's no shadowing effect. When you have the device installed, it's not just impacting the air and surfaces. It's also impacting underneath a desk drawer, underneath a desk handle. It just goes everywhere. Um, it hits all of the hardest to reach places. Anyway, the DHP systems can be installed in the HVAC or they have some really cool standalone units that are placed in a room. And I'll talk a little bit more about how those are used as we proceed today. But a number of hospitals use both. Um, so they take the DHP and they allow it to travel wherever the air goes. And they also sometimes use a portable unit uh, for other purposes. So to Maureen's earlier point about the ongoing nature of environmental contamination, 
One of the greatest benefits of DHP is that it's continuous mode of operation. It's addressing the inevitable recontamination of a room in real time. In other words, unlike intermittent environmental solutions, such as UV or HPV systems, which are a single point in time solution, the dry hydrogen peroxide addresses the active shedding that Maureen pointed out of these organisms into the environment as if, as it occurs. So there's a lot of robust evidence on DHP's ability to reduce microorganisms, both in the air and on surfaces, which I'll get to later on today. But of course, we have this new virus, like the one we're de- that we're all dealing with and talking about. You need to know whether DHP is going to be effective against it. So the EPA in the United States has criteria for disinfectants. They have um, an efficacy claim against SARS-CoV-2, and it's based on how the disinfectant kills a more resistant type of virus. The SARS-CoV-2, as Maureen mentioned, is an envelope virus, and envelope viruses are the easiest virus to kill. So the EPA has stated that if a disinfectant can kill a small non-envelope virus, it should be effective against SARS-CoV-2. So Synexis tested it against two different types of small non-envelope viruses, and it was extremely effective against both. In fact, it eliminated 97.9% of one non-envelope virus, it was the MS2 bacteriophage. So, and they did that after just four hours of exposure. And then it also got a 99.8% on another non-envelope virus, feline calivarius. Um, it has also been tested against another member of the corona family. It's a gamma coronavirus. Um, and it reduced that one by 99.2% within 24 hours. A recent development for Synexis is that they are in the process of working with the University of Georgia to test DHP on the actual strain. So they are fortunate enough to have um, that coming before all of you, and we'd be happy to share that information. So a real important take-home point about these results is how they fit into the context of what is happening across the country in healthcare facilities, particularly in our hot zones. The facilities are stretched really thin. The staff is working overtime. They are maxed out. So an environmental solution that's automatic and can work continuously while they go about taking care of business with their patients is truly a huge asset. It, uh, it doesn't affect your workflow, and it doesn't require additional um, employees to help manage it. Um, it just really is hard to overestimate the value of a solution like that, particularly right now. And, and for other facilities that are ramping back up their normal patient care and operations, DHP can be used as a fail-face, if you will. It can be working quietly behind those things to mitigate risk while you start bringing people back into your facilities. Essentially, DHP is an immune system for your building. So there's a lot of exciting information to share with the rest of you and Nancy today about how this game-changing environmental solution for healthcare and other industries can help you and your patients or your colleagues in whatever type of facility you have. Thank you so much, Denise. That's amazing information. And I know our global listeners will really enjoy, um, you know, putting all of this information into play. 
So thank you for sharing all of that. And uh, Maureen, are there additional concerns for airborne contamination with other microorganisms, which could be harmful in healthcare? Oh, absolutely. There's, there's other types of indoor biological pollutants like molds, and there's even pollen, uh, which can give you nonspecific symptoms and upper respiratory uh, symptoms like, and also headaches and fatigue. In fact, the EPA suggests, you can imagine over the last few months, about 90% of people were indoor and have these allergic responses to indoor biological pollutants. Uh, can cause, you know, different kinds of symptoms in allergic individuals. But they do play uh, an important role in the estimated 15 million Americans that have developed asthma. Um, I, I think a lot of that might be dust mites and things that just settle in these environments when you don't have the windows open and you're not moving uh, if you're just staying indoors, which we all had to, we weren't even opening and closing doors. Um, and depending on where you live, it's questionable whether you open the windows, you know, if you're in a cold area. So uh, we know a lot um, that these aerosolized transmissions of infectious diseases do occur. I think I talked earlier about things like tuberculosis and um, things like measles and mumps and things that are what we consider like an airborne disease. But research has also shown that many different activities um, not just those we most often think of transmitting like sneezing and coughing, but others can cause the release of these potentially harmful organisms into the air. Um, they found when they were investigating in this outbreak, for instance, one choir um, where they were all together in a period of time just kind of before this whole thing uh, kind of moved really quickly, and a lot of them came down with it. I mean, they had a pretty high proportion of those that were in. I forget the, the numbers now, but it was pretty significant. So they found that even talking, they can do these kind of studies where they can actually see transmission uh, in these research labs and what comes out of your mouth and that, you know, moves about. We also have, especially in hospitals, think about the vomiting, flushing of toilets, Toilets will splash anywhere from three to six feet once they're flushed, and that's why you should put a lid down, but most hospitals don't have lids on their toilets, interestingly enough. Even your bathroom sink or hospital sinks can splash for two feet, so if the water hits the contaminated drain, which they are contaminated, it can then backsplash that back up, and that's one of the problems we have in hospitals with uh, supplies not, not to be put around sinks for that very reason that they can get wet and get contaminated. So there are different kinds of microorganisms. We have bacteria, we have viruses, we have fungus that can be dispersed uh, as an infectious source through these droplets and aerosols. And we've heard a lot of that, you know, related to COVID transmission. Uh, again, the droplets are larger, heavier particles that are transmitted within close distances of three to six feet, while the micro aerosols, these small little ones that are generated, especially with those that are infected with influenza, COVID, pneumonia, these smaller ones can go and be picked up by air currents and stop moving around the environment and even get inhaled or even ingested um, and come in contact with, with people. I mean, COVID's not a... You follow it, you're not going to get infected that way, but things like stomach um, or other kinds of infections that might come from being aerosolized off of the toilet. So those modes of transmissions are not, um, you know, mutually exclusive. Some of the pathogens like influenza and SARS can be transmitted both ways, both by the air and by the surfaces. So that's this velocity of the air currents is a big issue, um, moving these heavy droplets out through the air and moving them further along where somebody might come in contact with the where they land on surfaces or walking into kind of a cloud of them and then inhaling them. Uh, other things like influenza A and tuberculosis, they just take a very small dose of infectious, 
infectious particles. In fact, just only a few cells of um, mycobacterium tuberculosis are required to develop, um, overcome your, your normal lung defense mechanisms that we have and embed themselves and then start to cause disease. And in the context of the fact um, that a single sneeze generates as much as 40,000 droplet particles. So that's, that's been a big concern is that this, a lot of people who got COVID notice they were, were sneezing and coughing a lot. So yeah, transmission, airborne transmission is a very real problem. And having any kind of technology like this dry hydrogen peroxide that would be in the air and capture and kill those organisms as they're aerosolized, but not harm humans. That's the key thing. You know, UV lights, if we put the robots in the room, people have to got to get out of the room. They require manually somebody lugging the piece of equipment into the room and sealing the room up. This, what's great about this, it just works in line with us. It, like she said, it's like an immune system for the building that it's going to protect you 24-7. So I'm going to give back to Nancy now for, I think, a break. <laughs> exactly. Um, Maureen, right before we go to break, uh, would you briefly, I think we have a minute before we take the break for um, our next commercial. Would you briefly yep. be able to um, share with our audience some of the uh, users of Synexus dry hydrogen peroxide technology? Well, I know Denise is going to get a little bit more in detail with this, but I, you know, one of them is Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, I went to a meeting where um, this, we kind of called him Chicken Man, but he was this PhD researcher that worked in the food industry, specifically with the chicken houses down in Georgia. And he was telling us about some of the work that they were doing with Synexus and how it cleared up the mold. They had better production of the, the chicks and less contamination of their process. So that's a a big user of it. And I think, you know, Denise, when we come back, we'll probably get a little bit more into um, the different kinds of industries that are uh, now using it. And uh, you're seeing more and more of it coming into healthcare as well. Wonderful. And at that point right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing dry hydrogen peroxide, continuous environmental disinfection with our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. And thank you so much for joining us today. We have our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer, who have been joining us today discussing dry hydrogen peroxide continuous environmental disinfection. We've learned a lot over the years that the role of the environment is healthcare and is critical factor in the con- contribution to healthcare acquired infections. And the research that's come out daily, if not hourly, about SARS-CoV-2 indicates that same principle holds true for this pandemic. Right now, let's welcome back our guests, Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Hi there. Thanks for having me back. Um, I just wanted to sort of point out some key information uh, about Tenexus. And again, we've been talking about environmental contamination, and it really has its ramifications. But with Tenexus, it's in every industry and every sector. They are within a number of facilities. And so I'd like at some point to be able to have the opportunity to go into depth with some of the fabulous and compelling data across a broad range of some of these industries. They'd be happy to share that with you, and I'm happy to explain it with you maybe on a follow-up call. So, um, and also, to find out more on DHP technology and how it serves as that immune system for your building, you can go to their website at www.synexis. It's spelled S-Y-N as in Nancy, E-X as in X-ray, com. You could also reach out to me if you prefer, and I'm happy to answer any questions. But what I really would like is for um, uh, us to talk a little bit about some of the key takeaways. Maureen, do you want to provide some of the key takeaways about the system? Or would you prefer I do that? No, I mean, I just briefly, is from an infection preventionist, who's been in the field for over 45 years and have seen every whistle and bell there is and have used many different technologies, innovative, things like UV lights and white lights and so forth. When I finally saw this, I mean, that's when the light bulb went off in my head, that you have something that's safe, can be used while the workers are working, and it completely gets into the air and starts to kill the organisms before they hit the surfaces, Mm -hmm. and then it also kills what's on surfaces, you can open right. drawers in the rooms. and That, to me, is a, just such a benefit adjunct to EBS. They work so hard yeah, so to what? clean up and then have it made yeah. a mess. It's like they being a mother, do. you know, with a bunch of kids and toys. <laughs> this is why it's, it's like, I love that word you said, the immune system for the building. So yeah, I can't say enough is. about it. And the data's good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so. you. So I'm just going to just sort of give you some four big takeaways on DHP. So one the fact that it is able to address both the air and surface contamination to the fact that it is safe for use in occupied spaces and so it can be used continuously, very different than other technologies. And three, the fact that it is automated so it does not require staff operation or oversight. And four, the fact that it is a gas. It provides comprehensive decontamination by permeating that space 
explored ceiling, corner to corner. It's a pretty remarkable profile, quite frankly, for a technology under any circumstances, but especially during a global pandemic. One of the other areas that I would love to discuss on a future call with you, Nancy, is some of these industries, as I mentioned, and how people can apply that even to their homes. It's fascinating, and I'm happy to share more. Well, thank you, Denise, and thank you, Maureen. And we have a few more minutes uh, before we close the program. And before the commercial break, uh, Denise, would you be able to share with um, the global listeners uh, some of maybe the results the, um, from the food industry and the users of the, the DHP system? Ooh, I'd be happy to. So we're in, they're in over 30 hospitals and health systems. In fact, the Joint Care Center at Landmark, located in South of Florida, prominently, prominently displays that they have this nexus technology. They use it as a marking to actually to assure their patients of their safety when entering the building. So nexus is in a number of major league baseball teams that are using it to help protect. I mean, these are high-salaried athletes. And so we want to make sure that they make it to the subdivision and make it to the end of the um, of the uh, what Major League Baseball. The innings. No. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. My, my, my shirt is hurting me today. So nope. I'm not completely with But they're installed in poultry plants. Poultry plants, Nancy. They're installed in casinos. That was an interesting one. A casino hired them to come in because they wanted to get rid of all the smoke. That's one of the ancillary benefits of DHP, gets rid of odor. So in hospitals, you're not going to smell the urine. You're not going to smell the C. diff. In casinos, they came in and they literally installed it so that it took away all of the smoke and odor between where the smoking section and the non-smoking section began. They're in hair salons, daycare centers, preschools, many fast food restaurants, and even marijuana fields. So it's uh, pretty intriguing, and um, yes, they are a number of Chick-fil-A's, as you mentioned, Maureen. In fact, they are going to be rolling out to all 3,000 before the fall. Nancy, okay. would you like me to talk a little bit about how it was started? Absolutely. Do we have enough time for that? Absolutely. Okay. Um, it's kind of interesting how it started, too. Um, Catalyst for Synexus Epic dates back to the World Trade Center, the Anthrax Litters, and Jim Lee, the company founder. He invented dry hydrogen peroxide. How did he do this? Well, he was a West Point graduate, and he served in the key command and staff position, but he has a master's degree from the University of Virginia in chemical engineering. And he also taught at West Point where he directed the Academy's largest academic courses. So after leaving the United States Army as a major, he entered the public sector as an anti-terrorism consultant for several Fortune 500 companies, including AIG. Well, you know, when all this went down with the anthrax, um, Jim was sent out to manage um, the West Coast anthrax pieces that were that were um, um, sent, but fortunately those were um, no problem. Everything was good with that one. Um, But what he did was he started to think a little bit more about how can we prevent from happening. You don't really know what's coming into a building. So one of the other tasks that he was given was establishing a sensor in New York City's financial district. 
And while there, he determined, unlike chemical and radiological sensors, there's no viable technology. So he pulled it together, um, worked around the clock, and introduced dry hydrogen peroxide. So fast forward to today, Fidexis is the sole developer of dry hydrogen peroxide. They have numerous patents in the U.S. and abroad. So I look forward to a follow-up call where we can talk a little bit more about the actual data coming out of a variety of industries. Thank you so much for the time today, Nancy. Um, Denise, we thank you so much with Maureen. And we know Synexus has a lot of compelling data coming across the broad range of industries. And I know that they'd be happy to share all of it with you and um, or to our listeners to find out more about DHP technology and how it serves as an immune system for your building. Please visit their website, www.synexis.com. And please feel free to reach out to Denise Graham at Denise A. Graham at gmail.com and at this time I'd like to say thank you to both of you Denise Graham and Maureen Spencer for being with us today on CDF Spores and More and we're so grateful for your dedication in the healthcare and infection prevention uh, community so at this time the members of the CDF Foundation would like to thank our sponsor Clark's Healthcare again for, learn- for all of the uh, good work that they do in healthcare and keeping environments safer. Please visit their website at um, CDF, uh, no, at www.cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash CDF radio. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe de- dedicated to improving healthcare through research and developing new products to address C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety world. Worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials that are focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, cdifffoundation.org, clinical trials in progress. Please help them to help you to help others. And to learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit our C. diff Foundation website. We send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corella, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Corella, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 